the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Tasnick. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, this has been uh, some week uh, with newspaper headlines and stories, I think in particular of two uh, court verdicts that came down. Uh, yeah. Right? Two big cases. The um, Ahmad Arbery case in Brunswick, Georgia, and the Kyle Rittenhouse case in Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, major cases that speak to the culture, speaks to the times they were in, with two different outcomes, matter of fact. Yeah, one of the things I've learned and uh, is, you know, I learned this in law school, and I, I've learned it in life, unless you're in the courtroom, unless you're there sitting every day, taking in all the information, you don't have the full story. You, you have a truncated version by listening to the news. And you have an opinion. Obviously, there is the court of public opinion. But I think people, again, before they reach that conclusion, have to think carefully, what do I know and what do I not know? Uh, and, you know, one of the things that you and I also know is that in this country, people look at verdicts, look at cases through different lenses, through their own personal experiences. I'm, you know, a person uh, who is Caucasian, a person who is African-American, may see a case totally different from one another. I learned that in the O.J. Simpson case. Mm-hmm. I saw the yeah. reaction in this country, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, and I've heard reactions here, too. Um, so. But I will uh, tell you, Rabbi, even with, I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but even people, amongst people of color, they had two different reactions to the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Yeah. You would think that, oh, okay, all African Americans, all people of color will be excited because, um, uh, or, or upset because, you know, he was found not guilty. But there were. Others yep. who felt that he should have been, you know, uh, found not guilty, yeah. as opposed to those who felt that he Look, should have been found guilty. And they're both yeah. persons of color. Yeah, you know what? There is a strong case to be made. I don't like vigilantism. Many people don't like vigilantism. I, I think it's it's the wrong system. It creates, you know, potential destruction. However, right. when it is allowed, I think someone said, you know, you. Even when you put yourself in a foolish place, you're a fool and put yourself in a foolish place, you still have the right to defend yourself. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you can make a case here that, you know, he reasonably thought his life was in danger. I just wish we would reach a day when we could have a race-neutral verdict, right? When people can look at this and not have to go through the pain of race. We're not at that point, obviously. Uh, but that, to me, is... An aspirational the words of goal. Dr. King, yep. yeah, in his great speech, you know, that I have a dream speech, the content of our character, not the color of our skin. And, and you know, look, we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go, Rabbi. That's a reality. Yeah, and we'll, we can do that if we are committed to reaching that, that goal together. We can't do it by saying, this is your problem, this is not my problem. Uh, so we, we are on the journey. We're, we're in a better place there's more to do, but I'm not, you know, I still believe in the beauty of America. This is a great place to live. This has a place with, with so many blessings, and maybe Thanksgiving weekend we recognize some of the blessings of America. Uh, Amen. And, right? Amen and to not, that. Yeah, and not, not to only see 
You know, somebody I'm, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble for this. Love it or leave it. <laughs> and even if you're upset with it and you love it, you'll stay to change it. Yeah. And where you're going? I just want to know where people. They say, where? <laughs> tell me where you're going. Where I want to know where the place. Going? Yeah. yeah. But I, I told you there was somebody whose face was being painted by an artist, and he says, you know, you have a lot of blemishes here. And he says, just remember, I have a face too. And I think people looking yeah. at America, yeah, you see, you see some of you know those blemishes, but remember, there's a beautiful face there. That's the spirit. Amen, of Rabbi. That's good preaching. Thank Before you. our guest comes on, that's All good right. preaching, Rabbi. Dr. John Sharp, Museum of the Bible, will be with us. Great. Stay tuned. We'll be back right here on 77 WABC with more of The Rev and the Rabbi. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Jackson. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, uh, you have brought to us a very special guest. I always bring a special guest. <laughs> I mean... You know, that's just the way we that's, do things. That's right? what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, he is special. I've gotten to know John um, over uh, the last two years, primarily, working with the Museum of the Bible. He's actually the Chief Relations Officer for Museum of the Bible, located in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and uh, just an amazing museum of Bible history and the impact that the Bible has had on culture and history. And it's only been open four years. And I was with John uh, for a weekend where they presented uh, an incredible event over three days and gathered some people to just really share the vision of Museum of the Bible. So we're glad to have him here with us to talk about the Museum of the Bible and some initiatives that we're working on together. John, Jonathan Sharp, Dr. Jonathan Sharp, mm -hmm. good to have you with us. No, it's great to be here, and, and since you all talked about being special, I feel special today to be with you. <laughs> well, it is true, and uh, I apologize for anything the rabbi may say during the broadcast. Uh, that's the yeah. disclaimer. The, the views expressed are not necessarily uh, those of the reverend, that's all. <laughs> there you go. But it's Thanksgiving weekend, yeah. and, you know, uh, we've come past a time of thanksgiving and issues in our nation uh we had the verdict two verdicts this past week the verdict on kyle rittenhouse uh in wisconsin and then the ahmad arbery uh verdict in uh brunswick georgia and you know these are cultural indicators and one of the things that we're working on uh is a special initiative called the blessing of the elders uh, and it relates to current events and the African-American presence and history in American society. But before we go there, John, let's talk about the Museum mm -hmm. of the Bible. Tell our listeners about this incredible museum. Yeah, it's, uh, well, in Washington, D.C., we're uh, three and a half uh, blocks from the Capitol, just south of the National Mall, a very strategic location. Um, the museum was uh, founded by Steve Green. Steve and Jackie are the co-founders. And they, Steve often says, God tricked us into doing this. And uh, what, what happened was the family, uh, the Green family, has always loved Scripture, the Bible. And when people found out 
about 2009 during the uh, downturn in the economy, uh, all of a sudden artifacts, biblical uh, archives were being sold, and the Green family started purchasing them. Pretty soon they had a vast supply, warehouses full of artifacts, biblical uh, artifacts in Oklahoma City, and they had them in warehouses. And so they were approached to begin a museum and so they did some searching around, came up with Washington, D.C. as the best place. So uh, just to kind of cut to the space where we are today, it's uh, size-wise, it would be, we've heard it described as putting four Home Depots on top of each other. Uh, it's a six-story, <laughs> six-story, 430,000-square-foot building, uh, state-of-the-art, uh, mixing technology, artifacts, history together and a beautiful place and a very interactive museum. And uh, so that's, uh, that's Museum of the Bible in, in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> and, and located where um, exactly? I think that's very, very yeah, important because it's yeah, not in some on, uh, obscure place. No, no. Being in Washington, D.C. has, uh, you know, the city of museums, the city of uh, sort of the national history, uh, has has really marked it as being the most significant place in the nation to be. And to put the Bible, the the understanding of Scripture, the history of Scripture, the Bible, and its impact today, uh, right squarely in the center of our nation is very important. So we're on uh, four, uh, 404th Street Southwest in Washington, D.C., just, right. just south of the National Mall. Well, Dr. Sharp, thank you for being with us. So do we Jews, since we're the first to have the book, the Bible, do we get priority treatment? Do we get, do we get prime space when you walk in? Is that, this is what I was this is, telling you to watch out for. <laughs> this, this, this is for the Jews right here. This is the Jewish book right here. No, but uh, really thank you. One of the things I, I'm so impressed with the museum, and I was on the website and I hope to visit you soon, uh, is that some people tend to look at the Bible as a book of the past. You know, it's something that we read maybe once a week, but it's not a book of the present. And I think one of the messages conveyed by the museum is it is an ongoing tradition. It is something that has a message for everyone in every time period. And that's very important. And I think that's why it's become such a necessary institution to visit, especially for young people, because we're seeing the rise of the people who are unaffiliated, the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, but here's a place where you say, wait a minute, we have something that of value for you. How do you respond to yes, that? I, I, yeah, I, I think the, uh, the reality, even probably today, more, more than ever, at least in our lifetime, it's hard to say more, more than ever at any time in history, but in our lifetime, I think the significance of having foundations, having history, having scripture uh, records that show that cultures, countries, nations, uh, families, and individuals have been transformed, have been impacted dramatically by this book, and that it will continue to happen as people actually, this is our mission, helping everyone everywhere to engage, we say, with the transformative power of the Bible. And so to us, it's digging into this book, these great scriptures, and saying, we, we really believe that there's uh, God's life and word flows through these beautiful texts. 
Mm-hmm. And we we think it brings impact to the whole world. Now, John, I, I think added response is is how the physical building is arranged. It's arranged by floors based upon three important pillars. Can you talk about those pillars? Yes. And I yes. don't mean physical one, pillars, one is, <laughs> philosophical pillars. Right, yeah. <laughs> a pilloried <laughs> pillar. Yeah. Uh, you know, from from actually when people enter uh, the museum on the main floor, uh, the tiles go from, it's interesting, they go from darkness to light. And it's really to show that uh, Scripture leads us to the light. Uh, so we start there. We have stairways then that go up six stories. And one floor is the history floor. And you can you can examine even, you can see Assyrian arrowheads, mm-hmm. which verify scriptural stories going back to the Babylonian captivity and, and uh, wars that took place. So we have a history floor. We have a narrative floor, which tells the stories of Scripture. Uh, we have a Nazareth village. We have a Red Sea, uh, where you can actually walk through the Red Sea and see the piling of stones. Uh, and then we have an impact floor. So those are the three pillars, history, narrative, impact. And the impact floor you know, talks, shows things like early America, the impact of the Bible in early America. The impact of the Bible uh, actually in through the slavery period and how significant, how it was both abused and used uh, in one sense negatively and in another sense positively. So we try to tell the story very fair. And then we have the largest, uh, we think, the largest Torah scroll collection mm-hmm. in the world. So that's uh, very significant. So those are, uh, but the three are history, narrative, and impact. And those are the three mm-hmm. pillars. That we talk about interesting. Uh, yeah. Reverend Bernard and Cardinal Dole and I uh, authored a piece about Thanksgiving, uh, which appeared uh, past week on the online edition of the Daily News, and we immediately said we have to go to our roots if we're going to understand mm. Thanksgiving. Let's go to the Bible, mm. uh, because you can't appreciate the real message uh, unless you go to the original source. So it, I think it's important whenever we talk of any concept to say, where did it begin? Uh, and, yes. you know, most, most of the time it's the Bible. What I want to ask you is this. I was talking to the head of the Museum of Jewish Heritage some time ago, and he said, with technology, what we can also do now is bring the museum to people. Obviously, you want people to come to the museum, but technology gives you an additional component of being able through uh, you know, all of the different uh, platforms for people to to visit without walking into the museum, which is not what you really want, but it, it's a good substitute. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, uh, of course, you hate to mention it over and over, but COVID actually, you know, in one way was a blessing in that it uh, helped everybody, I think, think at a deeper level and at a more... Uh, uh, at a level of thinking about how do we transform everything and think about everything we're doing so that it's distributed appropriately. So uh, what we started doing was looking at how do we get each floor of the museum and each exhibit of the museum virtually uh, curated so that so that people can come and see or taste and see, right, from their home. <laughs> so we're, we're in the process of that. We have quite a bit of that available now. Um, 
and uh, and then we're looking at how do we take everything we do in the museum, how do we take it out to the world? So we're working on all kinds of digital platforms right now, mostly in process. Some is done and some is completed. And of course, uh, as all museums, we have to figure out a way to fund it too. So we're some of that is is fee based, mm. uh, but it's it's pretty exciting what what is developing out of that. And John, this this has necessitated a great relationship between the Green family, of course, but the museum and the state of Israel. Uh, you've been yes. working uh, together with the state of Israel in order to have access to historical sites, mm-hmm. et cetera. Talk, talk to us about that, that relationship. Yeah, early on, uh, the museum uh, actually was uh, Curry Summers, who had great relationships in Israel and uh, began to talk to Israeli Antiquity Authority about uh, having an agreement where we could have exhibits that were at the museum. And our understanding is it is one of the first in in the world with Israeli antiquities. And uh, so that's allowed us also to uh, have some digs uh, in Israel, which have been very significant. And and then to have just a whole exhibit of antiquities from Israel that are, you know, the the arrowheads, for instance, you know, that have come out of, of digs in Israel. So we're able to, to show uh, things that most people would say, if I can't get to Israel, I at least need to get to the museum. <laughs> and so yeah. that's, that's been pretty cool. And it's, it's been a tremendous relationship. Wow. And Reverend and uh, Dr. Sharp, I, I think this is a place where science and, and religion come together. I mean, you have these digs, you have, you know, uh, the excavations that take place. You have archaeologists, scientists, uh, theologians, everyone working together uh, to show the authenticity of, of a particular site, whatever you're, you're examining. And, you know, for those who, who doubt the Bible, once they see uh, from the archaeological uh, perspective, oh, that's so, oh, now I believe it. You know, they need that additional yeah. conf- uh, confirmation. So I, I think it shows yeah. a collaboration uh, that is very, very important for us. And I think it reinforces, Rabbi, the idea that our faith, traditions, Judaism, and Christianity are based on historical fact. Yeah. It's not that someone decided to, hey, let me put together a religion real quick, uh, but there's history behind it. And that gives a greater de- degree of credibility. And the witnesses, the amazing stories of individuals yeah. who, who dedicated their lives completely to, to a belief system and a faith tradition. Uh, John, can you tell us about the Green family uh, before we talk about the blessing of the elders? Um, tell us about the Green family, because many may not know that they're actually the Hobby Lobby family, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, the Green family, uh, interesting story is that they were they're Oklahoma folks. They're kind of mid-America, down-to-earth folks. And uh, David Green is the granddaddy, and he came out of a family that was very poor, but a family of missionaries and pastors. And they always had very small churches. Um, they talk about David's home. They used to put fake things in the refrigerator when they brought friends over so they wouldn't see how poor they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they thought they'd open a refrigerator. There's something in there. <laughs> um, but they were poor, very poor. And David uh, was the only one in the family and uh, 
who felt he shouldn't go into the ministry. He just didn't like to talk. He was embarrassed to get up in front of people. And he just wanted to work in retail. And he started out in a dime store and worked his way up. And then he and his family decided in 1972 to start their own little business in their garage building frames. And the kids all worked together. They built frames in the garage. And then they ended up establishing a store Today, they have over a 1,000 stores, and the latest count, they're worth many billions. Um, So, But they were committed. David talks about in his early life uh, being at a meeting and feeling like God talked to him about giving a certain amount of money. And he said, I didn't have that much money. So he said, I went home, and I wrote three checks, and I post-dated them. And I told God when the money came in, I'd send the check. And he said, within a very short time, all that money came in, and he sent the checks off. I'm going to try um, that with my so maintenance. Let me see. I'm going to do that with my maintenance, <laughs> my car yeah. payment. Yeah, uh, see what you can get away you know, with When they call that, me, where's right? the money? I said, God will send it. When he sends it to you, you can cash the check. All right. That's great. That's a great story. Well, it's, it's a crazy story, but it's generosity. And so they give. Uh, they've given, I believe, it's almost 90% away of their of their profit every year. And have done that consistently and are just known as just super, super generous people. And they've set up their whole life that way, everything they do. Dr. Sharp, you mentioned missionaries, and that leads me to this question here. So obviously you have, you know, the the plethora of Bibles. Uh, and you have people who adhere to a particular faith tradition. And sometimes you know, and history has shown this, uh, that there have been a lot of conflict predicated on the fact that uh, you're on the wrong path, I'm on the right path, and i got to straighten you out. You cannot continue to pray as you do, believe as you believe, unless you accept my way. How do you, I think there has to be a commitment made, I believe, that people who uh, serve at the museum cannot proselytize. You can't have a dose in taking people around and saying, this is the real one. Um, how, right. <laughs> how, how is that all resolved, uh, the idea that one yeah, religion that's... respects the other religion? Yeah. Yeah, that's always a, a, a wonderful tension in many ways. But I, I've tried to describe it with our team, the team I lead, as uh, it's like the gift of hospitality. When I bring people into my home, I don't go hide the Bibles or hide that we're Christians. Uh, on the other hand, I want to respect everybody that comes in, my friends that I bring them in. And I want them to know who I am, but I'm not trying to beat them up or beat them into believing exactly what I believe, because I I think at the museum we've taken the attitude we don't proselytize. Um, we believe the Bible is strong enough to speak for itself. And uh, if, if this is God's word, which we, I guess, say very clearly, uh, if it's God's word, then we think it'll do its work. And we can we can trust him with it. So. Uh, we, we tried to have that attitude, not to deny who we are, uh, but to say we we want this to be a place of invitation, a place of hospitality, mm-hmm. a place where you feel safe to come and explore these beautiful, beautiful, rich texts that have come from around the world. John, we got to take a, a quick break. Uh, you're listening to 77 WABC. The Rev and the Rabbi Show, our guest, Dr. Jonathan Sharp, Chief Relations Officer, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. 
Rev. A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev. and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. And we are back with Dr. John Sharp of Museum of the Bible with a fascinating conversation. Uh, Dr. Sharp, I want to ask you the following. There's been a lot of concern over the years with museums that what they're exhibiting has to come from a legitimate source. Can't be stolen, you know. And when you have all of the different conflicts in the world, it is very possible, as has happened, uh, we saw this with Germany. There, you know, art was taken from Jewish owners, and eventually became property of museums. And there were lawsuits trying to get the the art back. Some cases were successful. Uh, how do you do that? How do you trace the source to make sure, so to speak, it's kosher? Uh, that this is exactly what you want. You don't want it coming from an illegitimate source, uh, something that belongs to someone else. Yeah, that's it's an ongoing issue, I think, for museums around the world um, and antiquities dealers. Uh, there, there is some notable notoriety uh, that they're pretty good at, at mask, sometimes masking what they have and what they're selling. Um, when the Greens uh, first started purchasing artifacts, uh, you know, they didn't know much about the industry or the the whole. Uh, uh, scheme of things, how it worked. So they were they were unwittingly, I think, taken advantage of initially. And so, like like all museums, they ended up buying some things that they didn't know were stolen. Uh, they bought some things that were taken out of Iraq, Afghanistan uh, during the wars, and and then they they actually bought a forgery of uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm. And uh, so that happened. Uh, we were the first museum that we know of that did a self-evaluation analysis, and we hired a, a third party to come in and do an evaluation of everything. Uh, what we found out was we found out what was forgery, what was fake, what was stolen, and uh, we reported that. And um, so, you know, and, and since then, there's uh, just recently a couple of universities have come forward saying they're going to report what they have. Uh, but it's it's typically been a um, it's 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 a difficult journey uh, understanding this. So it takes teams of scholars. Uh, one of one of the artifacts that we purchased actually came from the leading archaeologist at Oxford, and uh, and then another uh, set of, of artifacts we purchased, which ended up being stolen, came through uh, Christie's. And that came verified. Uh, of course, when when it came down, it, it wasn't right. It was stolen. Mm. Uh, so, so those are the challenges. And um, I, I think you just do the best you can with bringing as many scholars together, as many experts together, and have them cross verified. And now, after four years as a museum, having owned some of the artifacts earlier than that, but or longer than that. But now having done this for four years, I think we're much wiser and uh, uh, much more discerning and, and much, uh, much more careful today. Um, uh, but hey, we feel pretty confident that, that we've worked through what we felt were the problems. Yeah, it's amazing because many don't realize or even understand 
what goes into all of this, the risks involved and the willingness to take those risks, which the, the, the Green family uh, has done to produce something that I think is very, very important. John, I, let's just shift the conversation. You reached out to me and a group of other uh, leaders uh, across the country. We continue to build a steering committee to work on this, and it's called the Blessing of the Elders. I'm on that steering committee, and it's about uh, respectfully identifying, appreciating, and celebrating uh, the leadership of African American pastors and, and, and clergy uh, who have impacted you know, American culture, American society through their faith tradition, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but but really looking to make the world a better place. What, what Rabbi has taught me, tikkun olam, you know, repairing the world. Tell us about how it began and where things are with the blessing of the elders. Mm. Well, uh, you know, how it began, I think, is uh, last September, a year ago, September, um, there was there were some black pastors at the museum talking about fatherhood and uh, the work of bringing fathers uh, up in the black community. And uh, two of these men, I I just felt compelled to. I met them and then I I took them to dinner and we just started talking about um, that this rich history of the black church in America that has not been told or adequately told of faith, of love, of perseverance, of forgiveness. And that this this beautiful story is somehow seems hidden, especially today in all the the trauma and and uh, challenge that comes out of even the Black Lives Matter experience and that we've just gone through is this incredible challenge, but not knowing this history, not understanding it, and thinking from a museum standpoint, the history tells us, as my friend used to say, he said, if you can't tell me where you've been, you have no business telling me where we're going. Mm -hmm. And so looking Mm -hmm. at the history, and and so as we chatted about it, uh, what came to my mind was 25 or 30 years before I'd been in Seattle, with some black pastors and just had this distinct impression that if spiritual renewal seriously took place in America, it perhaps could come through the black church more than any other place. And I, uh, I just mentioned that to these friends, these new friends, and they both just looked at me and said, that's what we feel. And so we started talking about that, and we started talking, what could the museum do? And we thought, well, what we could do is begin to honor, give honor, and I kind of came up with this word, I guess, give honor where honor is overdue, Mm -hmm. and started Mm -hmm. exploring and bringing together pastors, black pastors in particular, around what can we do to honor the rich history, the leaders of this incredible black church in America, how can we honor them and bless them? And so that's that's what has come out uh, of, and the experience has been phenomenal up to this point. Mm, I'm too young to be one of the elders. The, uh, <laughs> of so, course, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Pastor uh, Reverend Ar is is definitely involved. You've been just such an inspiration uh, to us, and uh, one of the key people involved. Mm. Uh, 
So, Reverend, yes. so Dr. Sharp, Reverend, let me tell you what I'm doing about honoring that which is overdue. Uh, for a number of years, I said I want to spend more time studying because, you know, when we're involved in our professional world, uh, the world of the clergy, we're torn, we're pulled in so many different directions. And there is a, a program in the Jewish world called Dafyomi, where each day of the year you study one page of the Talmud. And you complete that journey in about seven and a half years in this big celebration. So I started again because uh, I started before, then got sidetracked, but now I'm, I'm committed to it. And how wonderful it is when every day you say, I'm not going to complete the day until I complete one page of the Talmud. How great it would be if in America or throughout the world we say a daily page of the Bible. This day you cannot... You can't go to sleep. You can't finish in the day until you've studied one page, even if it's a superficial reading, because that will inspire you to go deeper. But wouldn't that be a statement of commitment? Uh, You know, study this rich treasure, which by some has not been given enough uh, attention, uh, and and get that message out there to everyone. Yes, that'd be phenomenal. We had, uh, I'll just cut in for a second, we had uh, an agnostic come through the museum recently, and uh, he was he was sort of tentative being there, and his friends wondered what he was doing there. He was a nuclear physicist, and as he went through the museum, at the end of his time, he said, you know what, this is impressive, and he started talking about the foundations of our country being biblical, mm-hmm. and he said, I'm going to commit to giving some funds here, and he has. But one of the things that struck me was there are people who appreciate are the foundations, some of the foundations of America, not all, but some, and they appreciate that, and they say, you know, the, that was that was built on biblical values, hmm. even though we may not ascribe to it. But, no. but they're looking at it, and they're exploring it, and that, that to us is good news. See, Rev, that's the yeah. difference. When the agnostic says, I'm giving funds, and he says... You know, I'll, God will send the funds, and then you can cash it. Uh, you won't believe it, <laughs> right? <laughs> when Mr. Green well, says you, it, you, you know, it has important. it has legitimacy. An agnostic, an atheist? Oh no, no, we're not going. We're not going for that line. No. Yeah. Well, you said something important, Rabbi, because one of the challenges for me as a pastor and many pastors across the country in context of our faith, whether Catholic or Protestant, and that is getting our people to read the Bible on a consistent basis. I mean, there's so many daily Bible reading programs and devotional programs. It's just encouraging people to to begin and, and, and finish. They have the through the year Bible uh, programs on and on and on. But how powerful it is. I will tell you, my first trip to Israel was an awakening because all of a sudden the book that I'd been reading for so many years came alive in a very Mm -hmm. deep and profound way. I could see it, taste it, smell it, touch touch it. The dust hit my face. And it was an amazing experience. And I think that's some of what the Museum of the Bible puts on display for people to come in contact in a very deep way well, with not you know, necessarily having to go all the way to Israel, but coming to contact with the history of that faith, that book. There's an inscription above a museum in Israel that says, I'll translate from the Hebrew, to look back at the past, to live in the present, and to look forward to the future. And I think mm-hmm. when you look at the Bible, you get all of those different time frames. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you walk away inspired by what has happened, 
but also it inspires you to look forward that you're alive uh, in the present, but all that can be done in the future. So it's multidimensional that way. Absolutely. John, we're coming to the end of our broadcast, but uh, the first event coming up is February the 24th, I believe, um, at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. It will be the first Blessing of the Elders event, correct? Yes, exactly. And we're going to honor and uh, honor, the again, the historical leaders of the black church, uh, founders, and then also honor some current leaders, which we consider uh, the elders of the country. Um, wow. And it, it's going to be a great time. February 24th at the Museum of the Bible. Wow. Yep. Is that open to the public? It, it will be. It's uh, focused primarily on bringing uh, black pastors together from around the country, but we'll also be inviting other guests to come too. But we we don't, you know, we only seat 480 people, so that'll be the challenge: who we can get in the room. But we're all right. We really want everybody to come that has high interest. Yes, Rabbi. Well, it's called the Rev and the Rabbi, so I can't come without the Rabbi. That's yes, true. That's that's, that's true. And, that's right. The but, Rabbi must come. Let me. But let me tell you this, uh, Rev. I said to John earlier before we uh, started the program that I would welcome the opportunity to come together. Maybe Rev, you and I can can lead it. Uh, we'll ask the Cardinal to join us to have a group visiting the Museum of the Bible together, to sit together, to talk to one another, to teach one another, and to walk away more enriched uh, by what we have in our own tradition and by what we learn about another tradition. So I think it could be a great place of convening uh, and communication. So I, I would That's hope a brilliant could... idea. I'm going to follow yeah, up on that. I mean, I, yeah, we could yeah. have a conversation and have it at the Museum of the Bible in D.C., uh, yeah. The cardinal, yeah. uh, uh, rabbi, and myself—that would be fantastic. That'd be wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. We would host it and love to have you come. All yep. right, look yeah. forward Excellent. to it. Thanks Excellent. so much, Doctor Jonathan oh, Sharp, Chief Relations Officer, Museum of the Bible, and you could see why he's the Chief Relations Officer. Yeah. Soft-spoken, able to converse, articulate, and communicate across the lines. Thank you. Wow. That's good stuff, Rabbi. Yeah, no, that was great. That was great, and it was a wonderful conversation inspires people to go, hopefully, to visit the museum. It's a treasure. And we'll be back with more of The Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Batasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Batasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rev, I was thinking as Dr. Sharp was speaking, you know, you have that famous quotation in Christian tradition, there are many rooms in my father's house. And, mm. you know, the many rooms of the museum and all of those rooms have different Bibles. And you walk in with other people of different faith traditions and you're an equal. You're a spiritual partner. You're part of God's creation. No one is better than anyone else. Not my religion is better than yours. You know, I'm looking to impose mine on yours. What a repudiation of the horrible history of religious conflict. Yeah, and, and, and the indictment that that book has been used to kill people, to put people in poverty, that book is responsible for wars. And we have to distinguish between how people interpret writings and what those writings are actually saying. And too often people misinterpret or interpret through their own lens, their own ambitions and agendas, and, and, and misuse it. And it's true of any sacred liter- literature. 
uh, I'm sure it's uh, true in your tradition. Absolutely. And, and keep in mind, you have very often human interpretations of a document we consider divine. Yeah. And, and yep. I think people have to understand a human interpretation is subject to debate, is subject to, yeah. you know, all kinds of interpretation on that interpretation. And not to think there is a one size only uh, that works for everyone. So, uh, but in your tradition, wasn't it set up like that? You, you had the actual uh, writings, and then you had commentary on the writings. You do, but, you know, even you there there's the, a disagreement. You the Mishnah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, but, but the question I, I, becomes who, you know, who developed uh, those writings, the Mishnah and the Gemara, known as the Talmud, together? And according to some, that was also divine. It was eventually, uh, you know, written by humans, uh, but, it, but it was transmitted by God to humans. Others say no; mm-hmm. it, it was human. It's a human document only. So, even there, we don't agree as to what the origin was of, of those writings. But um, it, it gives us an opportunity to have some real uh, serious debate. And and yeah, aren't we lacking? You know, shouldn't that be a model in this country for how we treat one another? Because God forbid you have serious de- debate without you know serious denigration of a human being. We just, right, you know, right. we, we, can't, we can't debate without denigrating. And that's a sad commentary. Yeah. The Bible, that's not what the Bible wants us to do. Yeah, the kind of demonization that we've yeah. seen, instead of examining the merits of someone's argument, you attack the person because you don't like them or you don't like their party affiliation. And uh, that, that uh, robs us of, of civil discourse. Well, uh, You know, I, I, I was, my sermon uh, last week, uh, was about default attitudes. This idea that there are certain attitudes that we default to when we are dealing with individuals or situations or circumstances that our lens is filled with stereotype or bad ex- negative experiences. And we no longer hear that person clearly or purely because we default to a particular disposition intellectually, mentally, and emotionally. And we, we have to check those things. Look, that's the word prejudice, right? Prejudge? Yeah, that's, that's right. right. We prejudge a person before we have all the information, all the facts. You know, I, I often say, look at some of the things that are sent out on social media. People giving things that they think are so factually you know, based, and then you find out they're phony. <laughs> then yeah. they're false, and yet, because of that transmission, you may have destroyed a person's reputation. Uh, you know, you have you know vitiated some some important thought because your nonsense somehow got more attention because you, you know, you tweeted it more, you posted it more, whatever. Um, so we we can learn. You know, it's bad. We already have in our world, in our fallen, broken human world. We already have those who traffic in deception. Mm. That's what they do, and some make a living off of it. But when it becomes popular to do it and fashionable to do it, I think that our, our, our culture, our society is sinking to new lows. What say you, Rabbi? So I would say very often I ask my, myself this question when, I, when I'm faced with some kind of dilemma. What would my parents say? What does my tradition say? And I use those as guideposts. And I and I think that's the way to look at life. You know, before you send something out, what does my tradition say about just sending out a statement? It says, keep far away from falsehood. That's what it says. You know, uh, honest measures. You, you, you have to have be a person of integrity. Well, if you're going to fulfill that, 
you better, you know, be very reluctant to send anything out till you ascertain its veracity. And, of course, right. our parents, in terms of our behavior, what would my parents say about the way I'm behaving? Uh, yeah. They were models uh, of decency. Uh, so I think that's, that's the way to approach it. We do that, I think we'd be in a better place. Yeah, and it costs us. I mean, look at what Dr. Sharp had to say about the Museum of the Bible purchasing verified artifacts yeah. only to discover that they were forgeries. Yeah, we've had this We've had this in the Jewish world with uh, things that were looted, you know, uh, during, during the Holocaust period. You can imagine uh, homes were destroyed, but before they destroyed the homes, they took, you know, any valuables and the art was taken. Mm-hmm. And then the art somehow ended up, ended up in a collection, ended up in someone else's home. And then you have to go through a whole lawsuit, you know, to say, uh, to prove it was yours, and that yeah, never should have happened. But you know, but that's you know, it still happens. It still happens wow. today. People traffic in this kind of deception. All so right. If anything we can do for Thanksgiving weekend is give thanks for those people who believe in and live by integrity and character, and all of those wonderful values that make us human. Yes, so Rabbi. I, I give you this thought. We call it Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. And we are thankful for the things we've received. But we call it Thanksgiving. So doesn't that say we're thankful there are those who have given us so much? It's giving mm. and receiving. Yeah, that's right. it. That's life. Thank you. And that's faith. Well, Rabbi, great well, program. Yeah, and look Until forward. next week. Yeah, and now we go back to a regular week, but we look forward to Hanukkah. <laughs> right, Hanukkah yeah, is coming. Right. Yeah, right. so I apologize to our listeners for the Hanukkah traffic out there. I know around Rockefeller Center, <laughs> all the people traveling. I'm sorry, you know, it only happens for eight days. No, but it's, it's a great time of year. A lot of light, a lot of love, and uh, if only we could keep the flame burning even longer than the eight days, even longer than Christmas, uh, that we would we would be uh, we would be a lot happier. Thank you. Amen to that, my friend. All right, till next time. We wish you a very Happy Thanksgiving weekend, even though Thanksgiving has passed, that you and your families will remain blessed and safe. And shalom is the word, Rabbi? Very good. I've heard that once before. Yeah, shalom. (laughs) Be well. You pronounced it well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye.